Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you have the uh, blue sheets, um, I want to thank the elders for asking me to pinch it for uh, for Rex this morning. Um, I'm not Rex. I, I I tried. I got some I got some key words that uh, the letters begin with the same uh, the words begin with the same letters and. But unlike Rex, I can't, I really can't, for, because of the nature of the sermon, unveil it piece by piece because it all hangs together. So essentially, I'm going to read out right off the bat what those words are in a complete sentence, and that sort of tells you what the sermon's about, okay? Here it is. The God who has infinite power intimately participates in our lives and has left independent proofs of the truth of his story. The gospel is the most important story in the world. It's a true story. It's the most important thing to everybody, even whether we realize it or not, because the gospel means eternal life. The gospel is about what the whole universe is about, whether we realize it or not. The gospel is is our defeat of death. It's our relationship to our Creator. It's our eternal future. And it's enormously important. But at the same time, there's a huge paradox in the Gospel, something that can be a stumbling block for people who hear it. Um, and what we read in, in John this morning... Uh, contains part of that paradox and, and part of the sentence, uh, what, what I read before. Um, our infinitely powerful God created everything. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. There's nothing that exists that he didn't make. And... That's a wonderful thing. And you think about how huge the universe is. Um, it, it's astounding. But the paradox comes in in his being intimately involved with our lives. You think about how small the earth is in comparison with the universe and how small we are in comparison with the earth. That sounds pretty wild, doesn't it? And that he should be interested in uh, you know, in, in, in how I do with my job or my honesty or my integrity or my salvation, uh, that he would actually come and participate in this world and give his life up for me, for me to have eternal life, that's paradoxical. Well, it's paradoxical because I know, you know, maybe I wouldn't want to do that. It's problematic. And, and because it is, we need proof. We need some kind of evidence to assure us that it's right. You know, if, if somebody came along and said they were God, what would happen? We, we'd haul them off and we'd put them in a padded room and first we'd wait to see if they uh, sobered up. And then we'd ask them if they were God again. And, and if they said no, we might let them free. Um, but if somebody came and said they were God, and then they started to raise people from the dead and, and heal blind people and multiply loaves and walk on water and or, or generally defy the laws of physics and uh, chemistry and, and biology, you'd start to think, well, maybe he was in charge of all of this stuff. And that's what we have. 
And that is what we have. And that's, I think most of us here believe that. Um, and we, we, we shared in the Lord's Supper and we celebrated that. And so why am I saying it again? Because we already celebrated it. Well, if you're like me, sometimes I have problems taking it to heart. I understand it intellectually. It's still paradoxical and it's still hard to, to get a, a grasp on it. And sometimes I forget. And sometimes I get all heebie-jeebie about how the world is going because I forget. And I don't live the Christian life that I need to live because I forget. And, and again, so as I go through this, I hope all of us will be reminded and take more to heart what we have in Christ. And that, uh, and that really it will take hold of us on the inside so that we can go through this turbulent world in real peace. Sometimes, sometimes I would read um, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, you know, he's telling us to think on these things and the God of peace uh, will, will be with the, the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, will be with you. And I'm thinking, oh, the peace of Christ passed me and I don't understand it. But if we grasp these things, I think we'll do better. So for those of you who believe, please hang on to this. It's, it's not just a simple repeat, I hope but an encouragement to internalize some of this. And to those of you who don't believe or not sure, um, maybe you sort of believe because your parents always believed and you need to make it your own, well, there's evidence for that too, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to find out more about Jesus, to find out more about the proofs that he has produced. I can't present all of that today. And uh, that takes time. And it takes patience, and it will take interest on your part, and I hope you have that interest. So those are my goals this morning. Uh, I'd like to look first at the idea of God's infinite power. He made everything, and we forget that sometimes. And and I get nervous sometimes when I forget that. Um, We spend most of our lives in buildings that are made of steel and concrete, we walk on carpets that are made of rayon. Uh, we, we sit on chairs that are made out of lumber that people make. We're, we're surrounded by man-made stuff. And everything we hear on the news is about what people are doing and the problems that people are in. And we're in a people-dominated world. And we lose sight of the fact that, you know, there's a creator up and above all of that stuff. We forget it's, it's man's world that we're living in, and, and mankind and men's institutions seem to have all the power. And so we get all anxious and, 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 and upset. And that's one of the things that happen when we forget that there is a God in heaven and Jesus is king of kings. Sometimes, sometimes we get worried. Um, sometimes I think, this is a Jack thinks so, but uh, see, check, try it out for yourself. I think sometimes I think it all works like um, it, I'm living in a great big uh, hurricane forecast um, when it comes to the news, you know. Um, for the past few days, it's, oh, what's, what's Dorian going to do now? What's he doing next? Well, you know, he's way out in the, way out in the boondocks, you know, uh, hundreds of miles away, and we're predicting, you know, what go here or go there. And, you know... 
it's good to be prepared, and I'm not knocking that. It, it, it is, and it's wise, and it's godly to be prepared. But part of it is to drum up interest so that you keep on turning your television on. Isn't it? Uh, and, and, you know, the purpose of it isn't necessarily bad, but that's what happens. And so what happens sometimes is that we make use of this principle for other purposes. So if you don't, if you don't give money to my candidate and my candidate doesn't win, there's a hurricane coming. And the other candidate's saying the same thing to his followers. And, and not only that, but I mean, you use it for all sorts of things. It's not just that. It, it can be medical research. Here's a guy, um, here's, here's a, guy a, a, a medical researcher coming, and he, he says, he's, I've discovered, I, I've discovered the, um, the dreaded munge. If you're a doctor here, I can, you can tell me whether there is a dreaded munge. But um, I've discovered the dreaded munge, and it kills people. And, and you've got to help me research this so we can get on top of it before it, before it destroys the world. And, and, and he said, well, how many, how many people has it killed so far? It's killed three. And, and how many people have caught it? Twelve. And he said, well, okay. But, um, you know, I'm contributing to cancer research right now, and that kills a lot more people. And, and so the researcher, what does he do? Does he put his you know, tail between his legs and walk away and said, well, okay, cancer wins? Or does he forecast what might happen if the dreaded munge continues at the rate it's continuing? And so in 2047, three million people are going to die. And so what happens? Um, we have this kind of salesmanship going on in everything, not just the political realm, not just not just in, um, you know, buy your batteries before the hurricane comes, but in everything. There's, there's this pitch being made. And some of it's helpful, and some of it isn't. Some of it's exaggerated, some of it isn't. But if you forget that we have a God who's in charge, we get caught up in it, and we get filled with fear and anxiety, and sometimes we're mad because it's not going our way. And... It destroys us spiritually, and we're, we're not really trusting as Christians are trusting, and we don't have the peace that God wants us to have. And that's really the point. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, it doesn't matter which political hurricane comes through anyway. Those of us who've been around for a few decades know that, um, that the political hurricanes have come from both sides. And we're still here. There's still a God in the universe. So let's not get too excited about some of these things. We don't have to. Let's not get too excited about what various countries are doing. And this is getting back to this idea that God has infinite power. Um, in, we worry sometimes about who's going to control Sung, Sung Jung Un. Yes, Un is the next, was the last one. Um, What's it going to do? Who's going to control him? How are we going to avoid all of the problems uh, that he's going to cause? Well, first of all, we're projecting problems. We don't have them yet, but we're projecting problems. You know what projection's all about. And who's going to control it? What power? And we're thinking just human power. And we forget that God is a God of infinite power. 
and where he's coming from. Let's look. Uh, in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter uh, 10, verse 5, he talks about this country called Assyria. God uses countries for different purposes. I don't have a clue why God lets uh, Sun Young Un go do what he's doing. I really don't. But I know he has a purpose because that's the way he does things. Uh, he let Assyria exist for a long time, and Assyria was one of the baddest, worst uh, nations on the face of the planet. Cruel, vicious, and yet in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. He picked up the nation of Assyria, which was the, the big shot in those days, and was using that to punish other nations. It was his rod. Bam, bam, I'm going to give Israel a dummy slap. I'm going to give them a, a spanking. And he used them to exile the, 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 the um, 11 tribes of the north because they turned to idolatry. I don't know what God's going to use these different countries for now, but I knew, do know he operates by the same kinds of principles. He still controls the nations. Um, and, and then later on he says, it will be uh, that when the Lord has completed, this is verse 12 of Isaiah 10, it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that is to punish them, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. So Assyria got theirs. Where is Assyria now? Ruins. Just archaeological ruins. God raises up countries and he makes them fall. And that's the point. Uh, a little bit further on in the book of Isaiah, uh, he's talking about God's power in, in chapter 40. In verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills on the scales? Here's a picture of a gigantic God. Here's the Pacific Ocean. Here's the Atlantic Ocean. Measuring out in the palm of his hand. He measures out the stars with the span. Of course, you know, God isn't a giant per se, he's spirit, but you get the idea that he's bigger than we are, he's bigger than mankind, he's bigger than the world. And, and that's the case. Um, a little bit further down, verse 15 of Isaiah 40, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. To God, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Uh, picture, you know, when we have drop in a bucket, that's where we get this phrase. That's, you know, we took it from the Bible, and we use it all the time. We don't maybe appreciate it as much, but if we were carrying a bucket of water from a well, and we were walking along, and the bucket was sort of, you know how the water sloshes when you walk? And, oh, a, a drop fell out because it sloshed out. What do you do? You keep walking. You don't turn around and get another, you know, oh, I missed a drop, I better put another one in, and go all the way back to the well. You know, it's a drop in the bucket, you know. Um, and then, and then the, next, the, the next part of that, um, here in verse 15, 
And uh, they are regarded, the nations are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. A speck of dust on the scales. You know, picture me, picture me going into the doctor's office, right? And when I go into the doctor's office, they always ask me to go up to the scales and be weighed, right? And so, of course, you know, when I go, when I go to the scale, I go like this, right? Just a minute. I want to make sure that my BMI, you know, my body mass index is measured just right. And any little speck of dust, that'll throw it off. <laughs> Will it? That's the way God regards the nations, whole nations, the most powerful nations in Isaiah's day, but also, and this is where we go wrong sometimes, the nations today. Because sometimes we think, well, God ruled the nations when they were fighting each other with bows and arrows and spears and swords, but now we have the nuclear weapons. Oh, come on. God spoke the sun into creation. And in one second, there's more nuclear explosions going on there than all of the nukes in the entire world. To him, all of the nukes in the world are just like a little pop gun. He is that powerful. And so are we worried about that? Really? If God controls the nations, he controls. He controls those who are in power and who gets in power and who comes down from power. And it isn't going to take the combined efforts of the United States and China and Japan and a dozen other countries to, to stop Sun Jong-un. It could take a blood clot about the size of the tip of my finger. Because all of our lives are in God's hands. There was another guy in Acts chapter 12, uh, King Herod Agrippa I, he had just killed um, James the Apostle, and he tried to uh, kill Peter, but Peter was um, given a miraculous escape. And later on, he was giving a speech to his constituents, and they were yelling at him, the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man. And an angel of God struck him, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, that may sound like a story to some of you, but it's a true story. Uh, historians said the same story, except they left out the part about the angel of God. They just said that after that speech, he fell sick and died within a week of an intestinal parasite, eaten by worms and dying. He controls stuff. God controls stuff. And so where, who are we to assume that we have all the absolute control unless I get my way, it's not going to go and it's going to be a big disaster. Let's trust, let's trust in God. He's the one who has the ability. But you can't just talk about that. Because if God has infinite power and then he took his universe and put us up in his closet somewhere and walked away, then we're in the same place as we started, you know, it's us and nothing else. But we have a God who is intimately participating in our lives. And that's the second part of, of our passage and, and really of the sermon, the idea that um, he is with us and he is working with us and he planned our salvation and he wants our fellowship and that has not stopped. Um, 
It says he talks about his physical ministry and 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 oh, oh, oh and alludes that's the word and he alludes to the death, burial, and resurrection in John chapter one verses nine to thirteen, and the, and the conversion that he wants to produce. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. And he's not, he didn't develop the idea of the death, burial, and resurrection yet. That would come in the rest of the book. But it's there. He came. Jesus is God being man. The all-powerful, almighty one decided to live as us. Face the temptations that we face, feel the pains that we feel, and to sacrifice himself so that we might have eternal life. And that's where the incredibleness of this whole story is. I can't believe that. That sounds so weird. And the, the Jewish people, crucifixion? Are you kidding? Why would, why would our Savior submit to that? But yet a crucified king is what was preached and still is preached. And it's true. Not only do we have an all-powerful God, but we have a sympathetic God, a God who loves us intensely and cares about us intensely and individually. It's to each one who is born again. We're not collectively born again. We're individually born again as we respond to the gospel. We respond one by one to the good news that Jesus died for us. We respond one by one in our change of heart, in our deciding to follow him rather than follow ourselves, that our life isn't dominated by me or you or any individual, but when I'm converted, I'm saying, okay, I'm done trying to run my own life. I want you to run it. And that's repentance. And I don't want the life that I had, and I don't want the future that this worldly, uh, this, this worldly world is offering to me. I want what Christ has to offer. And I, said, and I said yes to it, and I was baptized into Christ. Why? Because there was evidence in the Scriptures. Now, there's part of this introduction to the book of John that... that hints at it, but it gets more and more detailed if you read the whole book. And that's the purpose of the whole book. He says, I wrote this stuff so that you may believe. He starts the book saying, this is what I believe about Jesus. And then the rest of the book says, this is what I saw, this is what I heard, and this is why I believe what I'm telling you right now. And so we can understand what Paul saw, or what Paul saw, but what John saw. Yeah, I got it right. John saw um, and what he heard. And we can understand and see what others saw and heard from Jesus and know that there was evidence to the fact. This just wasn't just somebody making something up and 
I mean, it's kind of hard to make up that you're God and then die and come back from the grave. And it's kind of hard, you know, uh, to, to make that up and make it happen and convince people. But that's what happened, for real. Um, and so that's the choice. Um, there's a, there was a creepy poem that I thought it was creepy. I still think it's creepy. Uh, <laughs> It's it's an it's it's meant to be an inspirational poem, and it's um, uh, it, it it was used as a title for a movie, and the poem was involved in it. It's it's a worldly thing. It's called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. He wrote it in uh, 1875, but it has the worldly picture of hope and the worldly picture of success, and it it is really creepy. Uh, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Uh, He doesn't believe in God, probably doesn't believe in any, any God. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Look at that picture of life that he's presenting. A narrow gate where you're beaten up and tormented, ending in a pit of blackness. And that's the hope of the world. And where is his faith? My unconquerable soul. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he goes on and says... um, and he goes on and says, Yea, though I walk through the shadow, shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, uh, uh, I fear not because thy staff and, and thy rod comfort me. And, and, and then at the end he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds a whole lot better to me. What this guy is saying is, Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I'm not going to be afraid because I'm the meanest, toughest guy in the valley. Well, we're really not the meanest, toughest guys in the valley. And we really need Jesus' staff and and Jesus' rod to protect us. And we really need the hope of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And so that takes us back to this paradox. Are we really going to take it to heart that the God we serve has infinite power, that he has an intimate interest in our lives and participates intimately with us as we walk through it? And are we convinced from what we have in the Bible and, and from our experience in life that it's true? Let's take it to heart. If you haven't taken it to heart yet, I invite you to find out more so that you do so Please, think about those things, wrestle with them, and, and God, if you seek, you'll find. And life under the shepherd's guidance is a whole lot better 
than life going through to the dark pit. Please, if you haven't responded to the gospel, please come forward as we stand and sing. If you need the prayers of the saints for any reasons, please, please come forward also. Thank you.